Okay, good morning again, everybody. Uh, before my daughter, Amelia, comes up to read my text for me this morning, I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads with me as we ask the Lord to help us see some wondrous things in his word. Let's pray. So, Lord, thank you for your word, for the gift of these words of life, and may they get in us again today. And may they continue that work of changing us from the inside out so we resemble you more and more and more on our life reflects your image and glorifies your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Mimi. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had risen from the dead. Then the the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascended to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so this morning, I'm going to take a great risk by sharing with you one of our doll family traditions, and the risk is that when I'm done, you're going to think far less of me. So I'm really not sure how far back, how many generations this tradition goes. I asked my mom the other day, and um, she didn't know either. It's a Christmas tradition. So when I was a kid, as far back as I can remember, my father would wake up me and my three siblings on Christmas morning, and then he would tell us, to stay at the top of the stairs while he went down to see if Santa had come this year, if we'd been good enough. And then after an excruciatingly long 10-minute wait for any young kid, he would come up the stairs to report on what he'd discovered. And each year, he would say the same thing. He would say, 
you might as well just go back to bed. <laughs> he said, I'm sorry. Santa didn't come this year. It is so bad. It's so bad. You're right. And then he would add, you're making my point, Kathy, thank you. And then he would add, you know, you're welcome to just go down and look for yourself. And of course, we would scramble down the stairs into this gleeful discovery. So I bet a lot of you are sitting there like Kathy, thinking to yourself, that's a terrible tradition, right? And I, I, I certainly hope you didn't keep it. Well, I think at some point I did say to my dad, you know what? When I grow up and have my own kids, I'll never do that to them. <laughs> that, that this tradition is, is stopping with my generation. Okay, remember when I said at the beginning that you might think less of me? <laughs> some traditions die hard. So now that my kids are, are grown, so I have two in college and one in high school, um, we've reached sort of the full-blown cornball dad stage of this tradition, you know, where um, I come up the stairs with a dejected look on my face, and they're like, yeah, yeah, get out of our way. <laughs> so... So why would I mix my holiday metaphors and tell you this story on Easter? Well, for several reasons. First, I actually thought it captured some of the emotional whiplash of the first Easter morning from the depths of despair and grief that Jesus' body was stolen to the sudden jubilation, right, of discovering that he's risen from the dead and he's alive. And I think we, we, we can't ever lose sight of this truth or stop confessing that I believe in the resurrection. And we can't let it ever become shopworn in our hearts and minds because our entire life and faith and future depends upon it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central event in the history of our planet. That's why there are more than 100,000 biographies of Jesus in the English language alone. And I think that's why Paul wrote to the Corinthians as well about the resurrection, he says, and if Christ wasn't raised, then all you're doing, you Christians, is wandering around in the dark as lost as ever. And your sins are still not forgiven. And it's even worse, he says, for those who already died, hoping in Christ and hoping in the resurrection because they're already in their graves. He finishes by saying, if all we get out of Christ is a little instruction and a little inspiration for a few short years, well, we're a pretty sorry lot. In other words, 
If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then we might as well all go back to bed. When Mary said, I've seen the Lord, he's upright and moving. At that moment, the whole world tilted on its spiritual axis because death was no longer the final frontier with its tormenting fear of the unknown. Jesus crossed the threshold and came back to tell us about it and says to his disciples, I've made a way for you to spend eternity with me and my father who can now become your father too. And I think it probably made them wonder, that sounds really amazing, Jesus, but what about our sin? How do you expect us to enter into God's holy presence in our current state? And I think the answer to that question would have been, I've got you covered. Literally, I've got you covered. I took care of everything. My dying on the cross and the shedding of my blood was a perfect sacrifice to atone for all of your sins, now and forever. All you have to do is put your faith in me and I will make for you the greatest deal of your life. Here it is. You give me your sins and in exchange, I'll give you my perfect righteousness. And then you can stand before God anytime you want without any guilt any shame, any fear, and you're no longer going to feel like you have to somehow earn your way into his good graces. You're going to have full access all the time because of your faith in me and my atoning sacrifice. So the first half of the good news is that Jesus' resurrection broke the stranglehold of sin and death upon our lives. And if that wasn't enough, there's a second half to the good news of the resurrection. Let me go back to my opening illustration, if I may. So let's imagine my kids come downstairs on Christmas morning, and they see the presents, and they begin to celebrate wildly that Santa had come. But then, they never opened the presents. Now, wouldn't that be weird? That's weird. That would sort of be like us gathering on Easter morning and dressing up for church and worshiping joyfully in the hope of the resurrection, but never entering into the life that we have been offered in Christ. 
We can't just celebrate the resurrection. We also need to receive it. Because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. So when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, he offers us a resurrected life in the here and now. Not just when we get to the sweet by and by. And it's a life in him that is so rich and so abundant and so full that we can't even contain it. It's the life we all desire and it's what we've all been designed for. Jesus becomes our life. And when he becomes our life, he brings healing to all the places where we've been wounded most deeply. This morning I was thinking of the words of the old hymn, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and poor. Jesus ready, stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power to heal us. I think these are the presents that often remain unwrapped, unopened. If we celebrate Easter but fail to enter into the deep and abiding relationship with Christ, it's the precious things like peace, joy, contentment, love, healing, and power. Who wouldn't want this life? Maybe that's you this morning. Either you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ or you've never fully yielded your life to him to experience the abundant life he wants to give you. Today's your day. Maybe today's your day. Don't miss out. Yesterday, Esau Macaulay wrote a beautiful piece in the New York Times actually surprised they printed it um, about the power of Easter. He's a pastor, not a pastor, he's a professor at Wheaton College in Illinois. Let me quote him here. He writes, the terrifying prospect of Easter is that God called these women to return to the same world that crucified Jesus with a very dangerous gift, hope in the power of God the unending reservoir of forgiveness and an abundance of love. It would make them seem like such fools because who could believe such a thing? Christians at their best are the fools who dare to believe in God's power to call dead things to life. So as we leave the tombs of quarantine. A return to normal would be a disaster unless we recognize that we're going back to a world desperately in need of healing. For me, the source of that healing, he writes, is an empty tomb in Jerusalem. He says, the work that Jesus left his followers to do includes showing compassion and forgiveness 
and contending for a just society, it involves the ever-present offer for all of us to begin again. And as I read the article, it occurred to me once again that when we experience the hope and power of the resurrection in our lives, we should want to run from the tomb of our own resurrection and tell everybody about it, about our own lives and the way they've been resurrected by Jesus Christ. All right, let me finish. Philosopher and best-selling author, I'm sure many of you read Dallas Willard, who lost his mother as a young child, writes about a little boy whose mother has died, and he was especially sad and lonely at night. So he would come into his father's room and ask if he could sleep with him. Even then, he couldn't rest until he knew not only that he was with his father, but that his father's face was turned towards him. Father, is your face turned toward me now? Yes, his father would say, you're not alone. I'm with you. My face is turned toward you. Among other things, the resurrection means that Jesus shows up in the midst of the fearful moments of our lives with his face turned towards us and says, peace be still. I'm with you. When we receive an unexpected diagnosis, when one of our children appears to be going off the rails, when we just received a pink slip, when our relationships are faltering, when we're getting old, when the future is scary or overwhelming, when addiction plagues us, when we're applying to college or trying to land a job, when we're dying, or when we are just facing another day. The resurrection means, above all things, that the wall of separation between us and God, created by our sin, has been removed by Jesus' saving death on the cross, so God's face now is turned towards us both now and forevermore. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the hope of the resurrection. Let's be the people of hope that we're called to be and allow the power of the resurrection dwelling in us to allow us to turn our faces toward a battered world in need of hope and say, peace be still, peace be still, Christ is risen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for the gift of your Son and for making a way for us to enter into this life that's so abundant where healing comes 
and grace abounds. Empower us again by your spirit to live lives that say to this world in need of hope, I know where you can find hope in Christ. Peace be still, Christ is risen. In Jesus' name, amen.